3: My mission is simple. To make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to MAD Money. Welcome to A America. of uh, people want to make friends. I'm just trying to preserve some capital. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, put this one in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Now, look, if you're buying stocks here, it's OK. You just need to know you're fighting the Fed, OK? And that's not a fight many people can win. It's as simple as that, which is why the stocks got slammed today. Dow plunging 352 points. One point was down 500, like I said it would be. The S&P plummeting 1.5%, 4%. NASDAQ nosediving 2.17%. Fed Chairman Jay Powell simply doesn't care about appeasing investors in the stock market. He doesn't think it's his job. I get that. He wants to slow down the economy so that we can avoid having a lot of inflation. I sat there, like many of you, and I listened to how uh, Powell talked today in the press conference. He made it crystal clear that we need more rate hikes, at least two more. That's what he said. Now, there are a lot of mistaken judgments, a lot of chatter being made all over the place today about what Powell's quarter-point hike and his plans for two more mean for the stock market. Mind you, I said the stock market. That's my bailiwick. My bailiwick, I know, okay? I know it. I'm not here to opine about what would be the perfect monetary policy from the perspective of the economy, or certainly not the ivory tower academic. I care what it means for your portfolio. I care what it means for how much money you're about to lose. I care what it means for how we proceed from here. First, I heard a lot of people say that Powell struck a perfect balance, a well-thought-out plan that's good, good for stocks, perfect thread of the needle. What plan are these people on, Zartan? Remember in October when the economy was just peaking, Powell told us that business was so strong that we needed one additional like this year and three more next year? He said he might need to overshoot with the tightening in order to tame inflation. He could not have been more wrong. What happened? The stock market got killed! They know nothing! Now, though, inflation's a lot more subdued than it was in early October. The economy's obviously slowing on many fronts, and even the Fed is cutting its forecast for the GDP. So, what does Powell do? He hikes rates. Tell us where we're gonna get two more. Thanks. He didn't drop the idea of more rate hikes with a how about we do one and wait strategy. He made it clear that he thinks there's still too much growth in the economy. There's still too many jobs, uh, too few people to fill them so the wages are going to go higher. Sure, he sought that labor participation could be higher than he believed, something I believe in, but that's not something he's banking on. Let me put it very simply. Powell wants a slower economy than we have. He he wants one that hurts mainstream. (laughs) That's his plan. He has his reasons. But please don't go into denial here. The Fed is perfectly happy to gradually strangle the economy, the U.S. economy, in order to stamp out inflation or the potential for inflation. And that's bad news for corporate earnings, which means it's bad news for you. If anything, you know what? I was surprised at how well the averages held up today. You could easily argue that we should have been down a thousand Dow points. Would have made sense. It made a ton of sense, given what I heard and all the thread-the-needle-pathetic justification nonsense that was heaped on PAL. But because the market was already so oversold, the worst has been since the lows in February, the downside was more limited. Lots of people have already sold their stocks because they fear both the Fed's rate hikes and the economic slowdown that they've created, as well as the president's bellicose trade policies and some of the global slowdown that he's created. I can't blame anyone for selling The rate of return for risk-free assets, that I've been telling you, I like these, the certificates of deposit, CDs, just keeps going higher. You can earn 3.5% for five years without doing anything. Count me in. What can I say? That's a lot more satisfying than trying to play this treacherous market, at least for your retirement money like I'm dealing with. Only the fact that so many people have already bailed cushioned us from a huge fall. What else? People are saying that Powell has become more data-dependent than he was before the meeting. You know what? That's untrue. It's untrue if you actually listen to what he said. Maybe you have to get some Q-tips. Maybe you have a problem with close listening. Powell's saying that inflation is more subdued, yet he still needs to raise interest rates. That's not data dependence. It's data indifference. Powell's saying that those of us who are worried about a cooling economy should recognize that employment is very strong. He's saying that people like me who are very concerned about job losses caused by Fed-induced slowdowns in housing, construction, oil and gas, manufacturing, freight, autos, Paper, chemicals, Christmas retail sales, apparently don't know what we're doing. He's saying his homework is better than mine. Sorry, I got the grades today. They're called the averages. Man, oh man, are they ever cascading. If Powell were right, this incredibly oversold market would have at least bounced higher. Look, I sincerely hope that he is right. I'm not rooting against you. I would love it if this economy is doing much better than I believe. But sadly, I think Powell's the one who's wrong in his apologists. They must have no sense or empathy for what's about to happen to the working person in this country. Know that. President Trump picked a man who turned out to be very independent. Independent Federal Reserve chairman. Now, that is terrific for the institution of the Federal Reserve. It's not so terrific for the economy. And the president is really right to worry about a possible recession next year. He's spot on. President's spot on. Because as I see it, Powell's pretty much saying that he may need to take rates higher to slow down hiring. Uh, uh, hiring slow down could lead to a recession pretty easily. Hey, you know what? If I were running Trump's re-election campaign, you know what? Jay Powell would be my worst nightmare. He's a doctrinaire old-school inflation hawk who's as confident in the economy as he was back at the beginning of October. But he's now mindful that others, others think differently, not him. That's what changed. There's some real cosmic irony in the fact that if President Trump had simply kept Janet Yellen in place as Fed chief, she'd be taking a much less aggressive approach here, given the data. I believe Yellen would have said that it's time for the Fed to pause, pause because of all the cross currents that Powell mentioned. And when you consider the more subdued inflation, including the total collapse of oil prices, it won't hurt to wait and see. Powell says that he sees moderating growth in the future. So let's tighten two more times, not three more times. I know Yellen won't criticize her successor. That's not in her DNA. But I think she would have been a lot more prudent and a lot less reckless with these plans. Reckless. Oh, and newsflash. Powell may not sound reckless. He may sound reasoned. Oh, does he look the part? Yeah. But the only people who should be really happy about his statements are the rich. Their wealth will be preserved. If you work for a living, you're finally getting a raise after a lost decade of wage growth. Powell wants put a stop to that. I, I think that's his goal. Again, yay, the rich don't have to worry. Don't have to worry about a slowdown. Because you know why? You only need to get rich once. But the not-so-rich, sorry, sorry, sorry. In Jay Powell's dogmatic world, you're making too much money as it is. Now, here's what stocks would typically do for the next few days. On day one of this new leg, all stocks go lower. On day two, the stocks that do better in a recession start to rally, as long as the yield on the benchmark 10-year treasury has plummeted to 2.7%, signaling a severe slowdown. I like Clorox. I like PepsiCo. I like Procter & Gamble. I like utilities. Day three, the classic growth technology stocks rally, the ones that don't need a strong economy to grow their earnings, because j Powell just assured us we won't have a strong economy. Thank you. Healthcare bounces. That's about it. Bottom line, I am disappointed, Mr. Powell. Because he was so darn bullish about the global growth at the beginning of October, he couldn't say the obvious, that he was too optimistic. And now he needs to be more concerned about the downside than the upside. Even as employment remains strong. The result is bad news for both the economy and the stock market. Oh, and for you. Sorry, my friends. But that's really all there is to it. Let's go to to Mark in Ohio. Mark. Yeah, Jim. Thank you for everything you do for us all, us investors. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. Well, I got other people forces against me here who are more powerful than I am. But thank you.
2: Yep, you've been watching you since two thousand. You do a fantastic
3: job, thank and you. I just can't thank you thank enough you. for everything thank to do you do for I all, all these investors. I need it today. Today was just—I uh, was steamed today. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, I have a kind of a two part question. I'd like to ask if that's okay. Um, what I've uh,
2: been following along with the canopy growth uh, stock. Yeah, and. Um, With Tilray now getting involved with two other companies, I think it's Novartis and uh, InBev. Yeah. uh, Would that be a good investment? Well, I got to tell you, not uh, in this
3: market. You know, the InBev news was so positive, I thought the stock would be up 10. This market's barely up. Uh, I like Canopy. They've got more money than Tilray, but I got a hand to Tilray. This was good, and yet the stock is all the way down, but it's still a $6 billion company. Uh, Tilray's okay if you can get it for below 82. That's just good news. I mean, I didn't see InBev coming. All right, change. I change. Not the Fed. Me. All right, this is what fighting the Fed looks like. Welcome to Flynn. Welcome to Verdun. What a wild one man, tonight, Micron stock is plunging, and it's drama with Rams is dragging the stock down. Then I'm sitting down with the CEO to find out what the company has to say. Man, could pessimism be peaking in this market? Holy cow. After today's decline, following the Fed decision, I'm going to go off the charts to find out. A little contra review. And all eyes on Eli Lilly today with the stock moving higher after updated 2019 guidance gave you dividend boosts. Wow. Can the move continue? I've got the CEO. On a discouraging day, all I can say is, please stay with Craig. What are we supposed to do with this semiconductor commodity plays? Look at Micron MU. It's the chipmunk that makes all about DRAMs and flash memory, two basic building blocks found in all sorts of devices from PCs and smartphones. For months now, the stock's been going lower and lower as investors worried about pricing. For both DRAMs and Flash chips. Turns out those worries were well founded. Micron reported yesterday, and while the actual results were fine, no surprise given the company basically pre-announced a few weeks ago. The guidance was hideous. Wall Street was looking for $7.3 billion in sales next quarter. Micron says it's probably gonna be more like $5.7 to $6.3 billion. That's a shortfall. Whoa. Company believes it's gonna earn buck sixty five, buck eighty five, but thoroughly analysts were expecting 244. dollars Why? Because of an imbalance between supply and demand. This has always been the chips the stock's downfall. Chip prices rise, then the industry starts adding production capacity. New supply floods the market, and those chip prices plunge. So even though Micron stock was already down nearly 50% from its late May highs, the darn thing lost another $2.70 or nearly 8% today. question is, has all the negativity been baked into the share price, or could there be even more downside? Let's take a closer look with Sanjay Mourotra. Now, Sanjay is the president and CEO of Micron Technology to get a better sense of where his company's headed and after this brutal forecast, what's next? Mr. Mahotra, uh, welcome back to Mad Money.
6: Hi, Jim. Good to be back on your show.
3: Okay, Sanjay, we got to deal with um, the notion of something that you call an air pocket. You say that this can end and that people basically should be willing to ride through it as you keep buying back stock. Give me a bull case which says that the stock may already be bottoming and pricing in a turn in the second half of 2019.
6: So, Jim, what I would like to point out to you is that the end market demand drivers for memory and storage continue to be strong. Uh, When you look at some of the recent reports from enterprise customers of ours, their reports continue to show solid growth. Uh, you look at hyperscale cloud operators that have recently reported results. They continue to show solid growth in cloud as well. And memory and storage are very much at the heart of these trends. What we have experienced, as you mentioned earlier, and I mentioned in the call yesterday, air pocket with respect to some inventory up by our customers, and what we anticipate is that this inventory buildup will, inventory will be cleared up at the end of our, at, with our customers by the end of first half of this year, within a couple of quarters. And at the same time, we have taken decisive actions to contain supply. Others in the industry have also announced actions related to supply cutbacks. Those effects on the supply side will result in supply coming into better balance with respect to demand, and the second half of calendar year to be improved compared to the first half. So most important thing is that the end market demand drivers for memory and storage continue to be vibrant. Uh, Our customers' demand is strong. Our customers' demand from us is impacted in fiscal second quarter because of the inventory buildup. And then supply cutbacks will kick in.
3: Well, let's talk about the inventory buildup. Um, When you were here last, and it was uh, after a great analyst day, I know that you kind of felt that maybe this would be a little bit different, that there wouldn't be just this uh, double ordering and then a a surge of supply, and then you go back down. It seemed like it was a little bit more like the way it used to be. What, What can mitigate that, sir?
6: Well, I think what you have to look at is that over the last couple of years, the DRAM demand has gone up substantially as DRAM really has built strong value in the end market applications such as cloud, such as automotive markets, such as graphics. So this demand has gone up over a couple of years unprecedented levels of pricing and unprecedented level of demand increase over a couple of years. And that led some of our customers to build up some inventory because they were fearing shortages. So yes, we are in that air pocket where this inventory has to be cleared from the customers. But again, the main point is that the end market demand drivers continue to be more diverse than they have ever been in the past because now you got cloud, you got data centers, You've got graphics applications, mobile, uh, PCs, and, of course, automotive, industrial IoT. All of these need more memory in order to ultimately deliver the, the value in their applications in their end markets. So that's very different from times in the past.
3: Now, you have been buying back stock. Maybe it's okay to pull back. Let the stock say go under the 2750 book value, get a little bit better value. Why stand there and get your head beaten in like you have for the last 30 points?
6: Well, we plan to be disciplined in terms of managing our share buyback. We have announced our intention that 50%, at least 50% of our free free cash flow, we'll be putting towards share buyback. In our fiscal Q1, we bought almost 80% of our free cash flow and put it toward share buyback. We plan to continue to do so on a disciplined basis, at least 50% of free cash flow going toward share buyback because we believe that in the long term, the markets for our products are strong. Micron is in a very different place. We continue to gain on cost competitiveness, narrowing the gap with competitors on the cost side, as well as building a portfolio of high-value solutions, which really assures us of strong profitability in the future. And we are confident about our future, therefore we'll continue to invest, because we think from a long-term point of view, Micron stock is a great value.
3: Okay, one last question. Is there any way, sir, that everybody cuts back pretty much at the same time you guys have been cutting back, and we get an earlier bottom than the second half of 2019? We, we had an earlier top, is it possible we get an earlier bottom?
6: You know, uh, Jim, it's always possible and Uh, Typically, the second half of the calendar year tends to be seasonally stronger for our industry. That's why we are saying that, you know, by second half, we expect industry fundamentals to be improved compared to the first half.
3: Excellent. Okay. well, look, uh, buying back stock, believe it in the situation. uh, Definitely much better than it used to be. I will say that. But it's been a big decline in the stock and we're mindful of that. Uh, Thank you to Sanjay Mahotriz, the president and CEO of Micron. May
5: have money back after the break.
3: We spent the uh, last few months gnashing our teeth and tearing out our hair, metaphorically speaking, as this market-induced vertigo uh, whips us back and forth. And today was no exception. As The Fed's hawkish stance turned a nice rally into a horrific sell-off. And as I said at the top of the show, it was hawkish. Every time we get slammed like this, the bears run riot. People panic. And the pessimism becomes palpable. But panic? Is not a strategy. And that's why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Carly Garner, a brilliant technician, who's the co-founder of DeCarly Trading, of the author and the author of Higher Probability Commodity Trading. To get her empirical take on the situation, I've got to tell you something. It's bullish. So maybe this is a little relief. Garner's view. Two weeks ago, when everyone was exuberant about a potential breakout to the upside, we hit the high end of the range and came right back down. Now we're testing the low end of that range, and if it holds, Garner believes we get a sustained rebound. That makes sense. We're pretty oversold. In short, Garner thinks the pessimism is peaking. We're down dramatically over the past couple of weeks, and sentiment is incredibly negative. It's not just the chatter, although that's pretty pessimistic. For example, the CNN Fear and Greed Index, it suggests market participants are extremely fearful. This index runs from 0 to 100, with 0 representing extreme fear, 100 representing extreme greed. Right now, it's at 6. That is extreme fear. And that was before the Fed meeting. We know that Investors Intelligence Survey is hugely bearish. This is the most negative that the CNN index has been since the market sold off at the beginning of this year and in early 2016. Both those declines were temporary and they were great buying opportunities. So you got to wonder if maybe the selling is going to exhaust itself. It'd be easy to tell you the sky is falling here, right? Not after that Fed conference. And honestly, the Fed calling for two more rate hikes when it knows that the GDP is slowing. I mean, that's a serious problem. Come on. But remember, markets tend to bottom when investors get incredibly pessimistic, just like they peak when investors have too much optimism. Why? Because when everybody hates the market, that means there's no one left to sell. Have we finally gotten to that point? As Garner sees it, the latest decline is breaking the spirits of the complacent bulls. And that's the stuff bottoms are made of. Meanwhile, the price of oil has stabilized for the moment, and long-term treasury yields have pulled back substantially from the highs. The 10 years fallen from 325 down to an astonishing 2.76% yield. I mean, as of today, that, was, that was incredible. Those are both positive for the stock market eventually. But you know what really has Garner feeling uh, optimistic? This is an odd one. The dollar, which has been the bane of existence to many of the international companies that are headquartered here. A strong currency is just horrible for domestic companies that rely on exports. And ever since April, the greenback's been on the rise. Not good. When the dollar goes up, our stocks tend to go down and vice versa. This great reverse indicator. So when Garner tells us that the dollar could be rolling over here, I don't know a soul who feels this way other than Garner. I don't. It would be good news. Take a look at the weekly chart of the dollar index futures traded on the International uh, intercontinental exchange, ICE, so to speak, which measures the value of the dollar against a basket of foreign currencies. Both the relative strength, the RSI, okay, relative strength, index, and the Williams percentage R, oscillator, two really important momentum indicators, suggest that the dollar is overbought. Okay, I get that, right? Or at least it's overheated, meaning it's come up too far too fast and it's due for a pullback. Plus, the the greenback has been bumping against a ceiling of resistance that's kept the lid on it since last year. So, I mean, that's a legitimate roof, right? Put it all together and Gardner thinks a weaker dollar could be on the horizon, giving U.S.-based molding naturals a real boost. Well, that would be welcome. How about the stock market itself? Check out this chart, which shows the historical pattern in the S&P 500 over 30 years. Okay, so this is an amalgam. A Milan, so to speak, of historical patterns. And right now, the seasonal patterns, they are so in your favor. This is the end. This is where we are, okay? I know it doesn't feel like that, does it? Uh, S&P tends to rally in late December, uh, and that doesn't mean it will happen again. But all else equal, you want seasonality to be on your side. Remember the other day I said that seasonality hasn't worked at all. uh, The election stuff hasn't worked at all. Gridlock hasn't worked at all. So maybe this doesn't work at all, but it's important to see. All right, now take a gander at the daily chart of the S&P 500. Technically, the S&P 500 e-mini futures which trade 23 hours a day, including Sunday night when I'm watching football. As far as Garner's concerned, the action lately paints a picture of a confused market, she says. The S&P has been trading violently between 25.70 and 28.20. As money managers frantically readjust the portfolio, she points out that even at today's lows, the market's only down 15% from its all-time highs. Doesn't it doesn't feel like a lot more than that. It's pretty much in line with most other uh, corrections since we've seen since the Great Recession. Okay, so it's kind of garden variety. Now, the S&P 500 melted below its floor of support today, 2570. Uh, it fell to 2507. Some people think the 2400, here we come. In fact, we ended up making a new low for the year. But Garner says that could be a positive development, Positive because it likely wiped out many of the lingering stop-loss orders floating around. As long as we can rebound from these levels back above 25.30, okay, so she thinks we go back up here. In other words, go back from this out, what she thinks is kind of an outlier thing. Uh, Well, Garner thinks uh, that we will have more upside. It doesn't hurt that the Williams-R percentage, okay, we love this williams i I'm sorry, Williams-Percentage, R, Oscillator, and Relative strength Index, now they're deeply oversold. Let's see, they got it's oversold there, oversold there, um, good buy opportunities. And it's indicating we're due for a bounce. If we get that bounce, Garner could see the S&P climbing back to its ceiling resistance at 28.20. Wow, would that be welcome? Wow, look at that. In fact, she could even see the S&P breaking out to new all-time highs in the first quarter of next year. As crazy as many of you think that sounds. Then again, if you come out 3 months ago and told people the S&P 500 would plunge to 2500 by the end of the year, they would have called you a nut job too. But what if we don't bounce, What if the breakdown continues? All right, check out the longer term monthly chart of the S&P 500 E mini futures, okay? Monthly, okay? For garner, this chart is a revelation. OK, it's all book of revelations. It suggests that the S&P has been trading in a fairly wide channel ever since the financial crisis with the floor 2325. OK, you got to see this, right? 2325 and the ceiling around 2950 to 3000. OK, it's a channel. Now that the S&P has below 2530. She says that 2325 is the new floor down another 7% from here. Ouch! I mean, that's a lot more downside. It turns out this is a very binary moment. huh? Either stocks bounce tomorrow and we can make, maybe make a recovery or we keep falling. Which way will it go? When you look at the relative strength index and the Williams percentage R oscillators, these indicators are flashing the most oversold reading since 2008. Remember, we didn't bottom in 2008, but that's a nice comparison. Ten years, huh? In short, she thinks that the 2017 rally got a little ahead of itself. Uh, so we need to spend 2018 digesting these enormous gains, which we've been doing. Maybe we need another pullback to finish the process. But from a technical perspective, Garner believes the recent declines are unremarkable. You could easily make the case that stock market's uptrend is intact, and as long as the averages hold over their, uh, their recent floors of support, they'll potentially get back on track sooner or later. Of course, if she's wrong we could easily see another 7% decline from here, and that would be horrific. Oh, and if the S&P really does pull back to 2325, Garner says you want to be a buyer, not a seller. Wow. Bottom line, the Fed just committed us to two more rate hikes next year, borrowing, I don't know what, you know, thermonuclear war, it sounded like. And if they stick to that plan, I am not optimistic about what it means to the stock market. Sorry, I'm constructive, but not optimistic. But the charts is interpreted by Carly Garner suggests that the pessimism may have gotten overblown here, even with a hostile Federal Reserve. And there's a case to be made that the market could potentially be ready to rebound, although she could just as easily see a further 7% decline here, so perhaps you should keep your head down. Where am I? I know the market's really oversold. I kind of want to split the difference. I think we can rally, and then I think we get slammed again. Why? Because the Fed's not on your side. James in New Jersey, James.
2: Yes. On your 9 a.m. segment, a screen shows the direction of the Dow implied opening Dow futures and Dow fair value. What is Dow fair value?
3: How is it determined and how can it help me in stock picking? It, it really can. It's just a formula where the future should be. With the time, uh, uh, There's a time value of money that's involved. What you just, all you want to do is the direction. Okay, If you see the direction down a lot, what that means is the market's gonna open down a lot. I find it silly to look at, frankly. I think you should be looking at the stock market and individual stocks, not the futures, because, boy, have they ever been dead wrong the entire 2018, the entire 2018. All right, today was brutal, but predictable because the Fed stuck to its plan. I expect more pain. The charts say there could be a bounce, though, but maybe not for a while. Hmm. man, money. Ahead, my exclusive with Eli Lilly. Now, there's a stock to in this lousy market. Could the drug maker continue to deliver in the new year? I got the CEO. Then there's earnings, and there's forecasts, and there's lawsuits. How is the latter impacting the averages? Plenty. I'm going to give you my take. And all calls call us rapid fire. Tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. You know managed to go higher today despite really incredible hideous action we saw? Eli Lilly, LLY, the big pharmaceutical company with a stock that's been a huge winner this year, even as it's just come down from its highs in the past few weeks. Today, though, Eli Lilly held its investor meeting, and the company gave you a very bullish forecast for 2019. It doesn't hurt that this is exactly the kind of stock that works during a Fed-mandated slowdown, including the dividend boost that Eli Lilly gave you. Now, this morning, we got a chance to speak with David Ricks. He is the chairman and CEO of Eli Lilly, a company you know I like very much. We were at the New York Stock Exchange this morning. Take a look. This big day. Big day because not only have you given us a pipeline and an outlook that is far better than expected, but I think people are going to love the fact that you boosted the dividend a lot.
1: Yeah, it's an exciting day for us. We're announcing our... It's our capital market state. We announced an increase in the dividend, 15%, really our biggest increase in a long time. And that reflects our confidence in the growth of the company head. And we updated guidance and put out guidance for next year, which is, despite the Cialis patent expiration, right. growing the top line. I'm,
3: I'm glad you made. Yeah. See, one of the things I like about Lilly is you put the headwind out immediately. Sure. Yeah. I want to talk about the tailwinds. I yeah. see things going on, migraine, yes. uh, RA, obviously diabetes, cancer. These are things that are extraordinary. Can you point out some of the things that will be real step functions that will make it so that while Lilly is growing well, can grow even faster? Absolutely. Well, this is a great
1: time to invest in science, and that's our business. We've launched 10 new medicines in the last five years. We expect 10 more in the next five years. And you touched on some of the key categories, starting with diabetes, our biggest business. Um, Really, the key driver of a product called Trulicity, Mm -hmm. which helps patients control their glucose and lose weight. And despite some competitors coming, we've continued to grow share, and the category is growing dramatically, 20 plus percent. That's a key key driver for us in helping millions of patients. Uh, in immunology, we have two key products. One, Taltz, which is for psoriasis, which is off to a great start. Uh, it should uh, exceed over a billion dollars next year, according to street estimates. And aluminum for RA, which just launched in the U.S., and last year in Europe. The U.S., the label, we had some trouble with the FDA. In Europe, we have the full label really off to a great start, one of our strongest performers.
3: Let me stop you for one second because I want to continue. uh, standard of care right now is a drug called methotrexate. It's been Correct. the same one for about 50 years, and people aren't that happy with it. Mm. There are many people clamoring for the same dosage that they have in Europe to get off of metho mm. and really change people's lives dramatically. Mm. Uh, how long do you think it would take if you have really good data out of Europe that we might be able to get that drug dose uh, bumped here?
1: It's difficult to speculate on the timeline because we need uh, the Food and Drug Administration to agree with us. I think we've been consistent through time that the totality of the data supports both 2 and 4 milligram approved in the U.S. That's not the state today. Only 2 milligram is for use by doctors and patients. But we're in conversations with the FDA. We'll continue to create more data to make our case to have the higher dose available for RA patients as well. Because in some uh, types of that disease, it was shown to be more effective.
3: Yes, and what I want people to know is that a 4 meg conceivably could be the biggest drug it's my terms. Right. You're not a hype artist. I know you're yeah. from Lilly. Yeah. This could be a gigantic drug, much bigger than people
1: realize. We're optimistic about it. And, and I think in the long term, we'll win that argument. There's also new indications for Illumia coming. We expect some data in the first part of 19 for a condition called atopic dermatitis. This is uh, a, a, an itchy skin condition where there's been some new breakthroughs. It's very common, uh, otherwise known as eczema. And we're, we're looking forward to that yeah, data, so we've too. Yeah.
3: Got to, I think it's a giant drug. Yeah. we got to talk about uh, your migraine drug. And the reason why I talk about it is because it's it's terrific, but Amgen got out there first with Amivig. Tev is already out there. Yes. What is the superior profile you have, or is it just a Me Too product? Because otherwise I think doctors are gonna say, wait a second, Amivig is being tolerated. We're not gonna switch over to Lilly's drug.
1: Right, well, just to step back, Th- these three drugs, they work in similar ways, that's true. But we've had decades where there's been nothing new for migraine. Oh. 30 million Americans suffer from migraine, about half of those have what we call moderate to severe, which these drugs are indicated for. And our drug cuts the number of migraines per month roughly in half. If you have what's called moderate migraines, in our study you had nine a month. Can you imagine? Nine out of 30 days of migraine. And that number could go and have some patients had complete migraine-free months, which is dramatic. So these drugs are changing lives of a lot of women, middle-aged women, in the middle of their life. So uh, it's an exciting time for migraine treatment. How will we win? We're three or four months behind Amgen, one month behind Tiva. It's a horse race between three great companies. Um, But we have some skills that we think will come into play. We're good at consumer, reaching consumers. Right. We built, built that capability around Cialis, which we just mentioned.
3: And you're much we're, better, frankly, than the other two. Yeah, and,
1: and it's been something more about our core business than the other two. We also have, think we have the best delivery system. The same device we use with Trulicity, which has really been a winner for mm-hmm. us in diabetes, we're using for these migraine patients. This is a primary care condition. You want an easy-to-use device. Right. Patients can give themselves at home. That's what we have.
3: Okay. That's, uh, I think, the 30 million people says it. And If it's one doesn't work for another, they'll give you another one diabetes and that may be well the nra i mean that's one of the things that i love about market there there was a few years ago when people said look it's this failing diabetes franchise how did you energize things i mean i know that you want to you can't take credit for all this stuff but i think that you have created a growth stock out of something that people just say oh well that's a good stable company
1: well 10 years ago i think we had really lost our way in diabetes and over invested in other areas but the core of the, of the company has been serving patients with diabetes almost a hundred years my predecessor John Lecklider made a decision to invest in okay. that um, Enrique container runs that business for us th- that entire time he deserves credit for that turnaround uh, it's a combination of investing in the science right. the right science and our recent data on Tirzepatide, which we just put into phase three studies okay. uh, could be a breakthrough for type 2 diabetes is an example of that We've invested in better solutions for patients, delivery systems, connected delivery systems, using the power of digital technology to enhance their experience. That's coming next year as well as just execution on the ground. Communicating better with patients and doctors, Mm -hmm. running um, a good organization with our payers so that we have the right access for the products. All that comes together with a great performance. Diabetes up more than 30% last year in the U.S.
3: Accelerated uh, from beginning to end to market. You're talking about making it faster to be able to get a drug to market than anybody else.
1: Exactly. So this has been a program we've been under for about five years. We did some benchmarking at that time and said we're one of the slower companies. We have to be... Patients are waiting for new medicines and it drives tremendous value for our our stakeholders if we can move more quickly. And we've undertaken a, a pretty successful program to go from roughly 10 years from first human dose to market to something like seven. And we think we're among the best. We're not stopping there. Our end goal is to get to as short as five which is a dr- cutting in half the time to market. I think every patient wants that. Do you
3: think the regulators understand how much money is lost before a drug comes to market, how many years you have to just put in of hard work before it can reach fruition?
1: I think regulators do. I'm not sure our critics in the payer community or in the pricing debate understand that. It's a risky business, enormous amount of capital, about a billion and a half per drug, and there's a high failure rate. So you have to be on your game. Uh, to run this successfully and produce new medicines for patients, which we know everybody wants. Um, it's, it's a complicated business. Oh,
3: oh, one last thing. One of my absolute favorite companies is a company called Alanco, which didn't yeah. exist that long yes. ago. I, I saw what some other companies that are in that business ended up being worth. Yep. Alanco, can you, I, I know you want to capitalize on I know you want to sell eventually the 80%. Yes. But we also know that it's an unbelievable company. Can you scale out of it, or is it just better to try to raise that money now?
1: Well, we've said we're going, we expect to spin out the 80% ownership we retained, and that's a normal thing to do in oh, the IPO process. It's we did. so
3: good. Well, so why
5: does Pfizer want yeah, to
1: make so much more money? It's a great business. The fundamentals are amazing in animal health, both yeah. on food and pets. Um, but um, it's not as similar as you may think to human pharma. So I believe in the power of focus. So does Jeff Simmons, now the CEO of Alanco, and we think we'll be we'll retain relationships on technology transfer and other things, but we'll be better to focus on our individual missions, which are distinct: humans and animals, um, as separate companies, and can create some value for shareholders. Well, you have
3: the the diabetes franchise, uh, best in class. What you guys are doing for RA, best in class. What you're doing with cancer, just amazing, and it's just. Well, look, congratulations. Thank you, Jim. Thanks yeah, for having me for on. Thank you for all yeah. the things you do for shareholders, because you are one of the most remarkably pro-shareholder companies I have ever seen. Dave Ricks, chairman, CEO and of Eli Road. It is time! It's time for the light It's My for the one of the for the Lightroom! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Skig? Daddy, time for the lightning round. Cause I'm going to start with Matt in Indiana. Matt. Booyah, Jim. Go cold. Oh, man. Go Frank Reich. The best. What's up? CyberArk. What was that? I was too busy making stupid noise. CyberArk. Cyber I arc. like CyberArk. Why? Because ah! safety ah! against cyber terror never takes a vacation. Let's go to Kevin in New York. Kevin. Hey, Jim, how you doing? I am doing quite well, thank you for asking. How about you? Good, not bad, Jim. So my stock is Kiva Pharmaceuticals.
2: Uh, Last quarter, they blew out earnings significantly. They projected to blow out earnings again
3: this quarter. They have a huge pipeline of drugs, and uh, the stock is dirt cheap. Well, I think the problem here is they've got a huge amount of debt. And in this environment, debt is not king. Sell, sell, sell. Let's go to David in Cal- No! No, man, I got to take my aggression out. Let's go to David in California. David! ya from Cambria, California. Hi, Jim. All right. Jim. Good. I like to the move there. What's up? Hey, my question is on Ford stock. I've owned it for many years. I like the dividend, and I'm wondering if it's worth getting some more at this level. Um, you know, everyone keeps saying, look, the next shoe's going to drop. The next shoe's it's a Mel DeMarco's closet, this Ford Motor. Um, I, I, I have to tell you, I don't want to reach for 7% yield. I got enough problems on my mind right now, right here, at this moment, including the fact that when is my wife going to come home from work? Before 1130 at night, every night? Just trying to get the whole litany out there. Let's take one more. Let's go to Mario in California. Mario!
4: How you doing, Jim? It's Mario from California, from sunny California. I'm calling about Washington Prime Group. You had
3: this yield back
4: in.
2: 20%
3: yield. I mean, what does that tell you? If that's not a red flag, what's a red flag? That's worse than having a touchdown called back when you're playing Dallas. I got to tell you, I don't trust it. I don't trust it. I mean, you know, it's a $2. Yeah, it's a little stock, but you can still lose everything. And that one's scary to me. I don't think you lose everything, but geez, that's, I don't like a 20% yield. Am I done? And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the Lightning Round. The
4: Lightning Round is sponsored by TG Ameritrade.
3: We know how to model an earnings forecast, but how do you model a lawsuit? Right now, we've got five situations where lawsuits are or could be front and center. Qualcomm versus Apple. Johnson & Johnson versus Myriad users of talc who've gotten cancer, the Malaysian government's prosecution of Goldman Sachs for fraud, the District of Columbia has just announced case against Facebook over the Cambridge Analytica scandal, and the serious possibility of litigation against Allergan for selling breast implants that can allegedly cause a rare form of cancer, even though there was a warning. Let's take them one by one, starting with Qualcomm versus Apple, because this patent dispute has devastated Apple's stock uh, more than anything else except for worries about the weakness in iPhone sales. Qualcomm's got a Chinese judge in some low level provincial court to rule in their favor, banning sales of every iPhone from the 6S to the X, or the 10 as they call it. Why does this matter? Because if you look at the Chinese org chart, so to speak, every court is controlled by the Communist Party. And if the party wants to crack down on Apple, which is certainly a possibility given the trade war, that's bad news. That's why this lawsuit is more important than the federal suit that's going to be tried early next year in San Diego. Apple doesn't want to settle. So the potential for bad news just lingers. If this case goes against them, Apple could have even more downside. The stock got crushed today, off 3%. But if they come to a settlement with Qualcomm... You know what? I now think that stockholders would benefit. Next, Johnson Johnson is being sued by about 12,000 women who claim to have gotten cancer from the asbestos in the company's talc. The hot button here, two big articles that directly accuse J&J of knowingly selling a product that contained asbestos, a serious carcinogen for many years. Alex Corson, CEO of J&J, spoke to us earlier this week and denied these charges vociferously, okay? Said that there is no asbestos in talc and never has been, basically, and that therefore this whole thing about a carcinogen is wrong. Meanwhile, today, the court that ruled against J&J on behalf of a group of women in Missouri rejected the company's motion to reverse that jury verdict. It's the same judge that did it. that's awarded the women $4.69 $4. billion. So this is a real issue. This one will now go to an appellate court in Missouri, not federal. Then come next summer, a New Jersey federal court, where I think Johnson & Johnson is going to get a better hearing. We'll consider the science and the facts on the way uh, to making a ruling that could stick, and it could really hurt J and J if the company loses. But Jesus could put them in better stead if they win. I don't. I know. I know they don't want to settle. the settle case, but I know that that's not their M O. in Missouri. Uh, I think they can overturn the Missouri verdict on appeal, but it's not certain. My take. The stock has already collapsed, losing nearly $55 billion of value, which even the lead plaintiff's lawyer thought was excessive. This one seems like a buy to me, but you know what you have to do? My rule? Wait a week. See if the story dies down. The stock of Goldman Sachs has been weighed down by this Malaysian case where the government's going after the firm for its role in this 1MBD scandal, something that's also being investigated by the U.S. government, Justice Department. Goldman helped set up the state investment fund, which Malaysian former prime minister promptly stole a fortune from. Uh, I think Goldman will have to settle somehow, agreeing to cough up some money and perhaps changing its already strict compliance policies. Good piece in The New York Times by my old friend Peter Reeves today, if you want more background. I do bet it ends there, but it will be an issue for months, not weeks, before we even hear a cogent defense from the, from the company. That said, the stock's trading at a discount to uh, tangible book value. Uh, and that's, while well, not for the faint of heart, does historically say it's very cheap. Facebook. All you can say is, what took so long? The District of Columbia Attorney General is bringing suit for violations of D.C.'s Consumer Protection Procedures Act. I predict that many, many more of these uh, suits will be filed and there's some great reputational risk. But if the smoke clears, I will doubt once you see these stuff uh, all in print, I doubt the advertisers will stay away. Facebook is too valuable to them. Nevertheless, the bunker mentality, the refusal to appoint a respected outside law firm to investigate the situation, get to the bottom of this, means there will be many more suits. Not good, but only while this will cost Facebook money, I don't see it derailing the business model, although the stock lost 7% of its value today. Oh, can we stipulate that as smart as these people at this company are supposed to be, I question how stupid they really are, as the customer is, by the way, guys, always right, except they're in their world. Finally, many are panicking that Allergan has big exposure to this rare breast cancer issue, there's good news for Allergan. The danger was well known. The bad news, you're going to read many more articles about both the sadness and the liability, including what analysts say, get this, could be negative legal exposure that could be on for a while. Because Allergan's balance sheet is less than pristine, there will be plenty of worry here. The stock lost almost 7% of its value. And yes, once again, Settlements. Every one of these lawsuits is a serious taint. However, the stocks have already been hammered. It's more headline risk going forward. But if you can handle the negative headlines and you can be very patient, I actually think you're getting some very nice long term buying opportunities. But the operative term, please, is indeed long term. It's a Okay, listen, what do you do? You need to stop inflation. Your way to do that is you stop the economy. That's what's happening. But you know what's a, what's a little sidecar of that? You stop the stock market. And that's what happened today. I just want to be a little more graphic. I like to say there's always a bull market summer. I promise I'll find it just for you right here my Money. Boy, am I ever looking. I'm Drew Kramer. See you tomorrow.